right. Hello. Good afternoon. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Good afternoon. Hi, Logan. Hi, baby. He's fascinated by the candles here. The light. Kids love fire, right? Before I start um, today's message, I just wanted to um, say that we really need to pray about those who are sick among us. It's that season, once again, cold and flu, and I know Irene and Danny's youngest, Moses, had an emergency trip to the hospital yesterday because he has the flu, and due to high fevers, um, he had a seizure. Um, I saw on Instagram that Veronica has the flu. Um, I've been achy, so this morning I took my temperature before coming to church. I'm running a slight fever, so I was like, ah, you know, it's that time of sickness. But we just need to pray a special uh, protection and strengthening of immune system for uh, our people, our families, and our community because, yeah, it's, it's going around. Um, as you know, as you see the candles that are lit here, we are in the season of Advent. You can see up there as well. It's a season of waiting and of expectation. Um, but it has a double meaning for us because we are looking forward to celebrating this miraculous birth of baby Jesus, yet at the same time, we're also looking forward to his second coming. We're, we're anticipating that there is a second coming. He's come before and he will come again. And the four candles here represents each week of Advent, and they also have themes attached. If you look at the bulletin, Pastor Hugh was so proud of showing, it says joy on it. Um, each week, there's a different theme attached. Um, the first week is hope. If you remember our worship bulletin, there was one candle lit, and it said hope. Last week was peace, and that's the second candle that was lit. And then the third week, which is today, is joy. And then next week, the fourth week, is going to be love. If you see, uh, oh, I want to mention about the pink candle. Um, the third candle, people always often ask about why it's, it's rose-colored or it's pink, because the uh, liturgical color for joy is pink. Usually the purple candles, or sometimes in some traditions they've been using blue, it symbolizes repentance. It's more of like a somber mood. Think about Lent, you know, 40 days of fasting and the color is purple and it's like a, a repenting kind of somber mood. But because the third week is about joy, you don't want a purple candle, you know, reminding you of just being repentive and, and uh, somber, but it's joy. So they do like a rose-colored pink uh, candle for the third week. And now in the middle is the Christ candle, and it is to be lit on Christmas Day. If we did have a Christmas Day worship service, we would be lighting it, but we, um, we're not having a Christmas Day service. And of course, it symbolizes Christ, it symbolizes purity, it symbolizes light. Now, this year, I've actually seen um, some of my female clergy friends sporting these. Some of my female clergy friends I've seen on Facebook, I don't know if it's trending, I don't know if it's a thing, but they've been sporting these liturgical nails or Advent nails. And they've been painting their fingernails and I was like, wow, that's very interesting. Um, and I don't know the top person and the person on the left, but the one on the bottom and the one to my right here, those are my friends. It's my pastor friend, um, um, Joanne, who's in San Francisco, California, and this is my pastor friend, 
um, Irene, and she's in San Jose. And they were posting on Facebook saying that, um, you know, hey, you know, I'm a pastor, I'm very liturgical, and I've got my Advent liturgical nails on. And the funny thing is they were saying that it's a really good conversation starter. As they go about their day, people notice the odd colors. Who does that? And their thumb is the white Christ candle, right? And then it has that. So it's a conversation starter. They're at the bank or their grocery person checking out, whatever. They'll be like, oh, those, that's very interesting. And they're able to then share, oh, you know, this is about Advent, you know, four weeks before Christmas. And they share a little bit. And they've even been able to invite people like, hey, you want to come out to our Christmas service? You know, that's this, the Christ candle, the white one, you know. And they're kind of, it reminded me of like, you know, that wordless book. If you grew up a long, long time ago as a kid, it's like it's got the wordless book. The cover is green and it's got different colors in it. Kind of reminded me like that. So it's a conversation piece. It's a uh, evangelistic tool, you know, kind of flashing your Advent colors. So I thought it was pretty neat. I thought it was cool. So, although today's theme is joy, because the pink candle is lit, Pastor Q actually preached on the passage I wanted to speak on, and he touched upon joy, you know, this is news of great joy, and he talked about the uh, shepherds and such, and the, the magi that came. So that was last week that he spoke. So this week, I'm actually going to speak on the theme of peace, which was last week's candle. So I want to talk about peace. Now, I'm sure that everyone is familiar with uh, Peanuts, the Charlie Brown comic strip. I don't know if you guys have seen this one. Oh, I'm sorry. This is the uh, title about peace. Prince of Peace, uh, Jesus Christ. Those are the two Bible passages that we're going to be looking at. This is the comic strip I want to talk about. So this actually came out on Christmas Day in 1965. If you guys were alive in 1965, you would have seen the original in the um, newspaper that it came out in. But 1965, and if you look at this, um, as you can see, it says, you know, Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown, and you, you know that there's this relationship between Lucy and Charlie Brown that's kind of, you know, and she's saying, she says, at this time of year, I think we should put aside all our differences and, you know, try to be kind with one, to everyone. And then Charlie says, why does it have to be for just this time of year? Why can't it be all year round? And then Lucy looks at him and says, what are you, some kind of fanatic or something, right? And so when I read this, I was thinking about it, I was like, wouldn't it be nice? What would it look like? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we actually practiced the things that we see, the things that we hear, the things that we sing about at Christmas time? And wouldn't it be wonderful if we could take the mood and the sentiment of Christmas? Everybody's all warm and fuzzy and the sentiment of Christmas. There's all these Hallmark movies with happy endings and you know, these great Christmas-type movies, um, and it just gives you that good kind of feeling where all is right with the world. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could take that mood and sentiment of Christmas with us through the new year and beyond, and not just during this Christmas time when, you know, you're supposed to be good to your neighbors and share this kind of Christmas love. And like Lucy is saying here, what are you, a fanatic? This should be only just during this time, not for the rest of our lives. But the Christmas carols and the hymns and many of the songs that we sing, believe it or not, it does center around peace. It does talk about peace. Here's a, one of the most absolute famous Christmas hymns that we sing, Silent Night, Holy Night. And again, it talks about this heavenly peace, talking about sleep and heavenly peace, right? 
Another song, it came upon the midnight clear. Also in these verses, it talks about peace on earth, goodwill to men, right? And so there's that theme again of this is the time we were singing about peace, all heaven's gracious king. And then Hark the Herald Angels Sing, very well known, another Christmas hymn, Christmas carol, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. So yeah, all these songs about peace, a heavenly peace, a goodwill to men, peace on earth, um, mercy mild. The passage of scripture that the birth narrative of Jesus comes in um, is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And I'm not going to read all of it, but in that birth narrative, I want to look at just verses 13 and 14. It says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. But even as we read this passage and we sing these songs, we hear it on the radio constantly, we're asking ourselves after we hear all this about theme, how do we honestly and with a clear conscience proclaim this, this peace in the midst of all this war and, and just political unrest, uh, the current events we're hearing on the news every other day, cyber attacks, terror attacks, you know, just things that are happening, horrible things, shootings, violence, and things like that. I mean, we continue to hear about the unrest in, um, in the Middle East. Uh, we hear about Europe and everything that's going on with Brexit. Uh, even here in our own country, there's the presidential impeachment hearings happening. There's so much strife in, within our own government, within our own neighbors, in our own communities. There's race, you know, race wars happening, racism, and just people being offended left and right, war on terrorism, um, just so much happening. There's no peace to be had around here. And it's really sad when we think about Bethlehem. When we think about that region of the world, the birthplace of the Prince of Peace is one of the, the most um, place on earth that is with absolute absence of peace, you know, for so long. It's really sad. Birthplace of the Prince of Peace, the symbol of ultimate world peace, right, is born there, and that is also, even today, just the symbol of unrest and political and just war and things like that. It's really sad. There's an American poet named Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and he wrote this really famous poem called Christmas Bells. Have you guys heard of it? It's pretty famous, and it was in 1863. So he wrote it a long, long time ago. During the American Civil War, he wrote it on Christmas Day during the American Civil War. Here it is, Christmas bells. And if you see, it says, I heard the bells on Christmas day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And also the second verse, and in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. In Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, and seven, Pastor Q read earlier, the future birth of the Messiah is foretold, right, from the prophet Isaiah. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, 
there will be no end. There will be no end to this peace. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We all desperately want to be touched by God's peace in our lives. We all desperately want to know what it feels like to be filled with this kind of peace that Isaiah is speaking about. But it is possible. Like I said, I just named all these difficulties in the world, everything that's happening, and then we get really depressed about it. But it is possible because simply the birth of Jesus, because the birth of the Prince of Peace, it is possible that we are to have this. And to have true peace, we have to experience it in three ways. So that's my message today. I want to go over three ways that we can experience or three types of peace that we have to have. And the first one is peace with one another. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Goodwill to men, goodwill to men. It's talking about how we should be kind to our neighbors. This is a good time to have charitable feelings and that good uh, sentimental Christmas um, happy ending movie type feelings. And then the second is peace within. Who doesn't want that? Even greater than all the war and and the strife out there these days is all our inner turmoil. It's depression, it's anxiety, it's stress, it's unforgiveness, it's, it's everything that's just eating you up inside. So many people don't have inner peace, peace within. And then the third is peace with God. How many of us can say that we have just this overwhelming peace with God? We're good. We're not angry with God. We're not bitter at him. We're not, you know, we just are overwhelmed with this heavenly um, peace with God. So let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. If you have your Bibles, you can look there, and I have it up here as well. Philippians 4, 2 through 9. This is a letter that Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And we're going to go through that. Philippians 4, 2 through 9. Church in Philippi. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Why? And the God of peace will be with you. So first, Paul tells us that we need to be at peace with one another. We need to be living in harmony with our neighbors. Peace on earth, goodwill to men to men and women, to our neighbors. We're to have this peace. Verses 2 and 3 specifically. So here are two women, um, 
Yodia and Syntyche. You can pronounce the second lady's name however you want. Uh, these are two women, and they're both really committed Christians, and they've been working with Apostle Paul side by side. He's been laboring with them. They're devout, devoted Christian women, but they seem to have some sort of disagreement. The Bible doesn't tell us what this dis disagreement is about, but it's got to have been pretty big for the Apostle Paul to have gotten wind of it because he's in prison. And so for him to have even heard about this, there's something going on there that's causing strife in this church in Philippi. There's some sort of disagreement that's happening, but the Bible doesn't tell us what. Now, Paul clearly is pleading. He's pleading with these two women to be reconciled and to be at peace with each other. Obviously, this is very important to Paul. As Christians and as our witness, it completely taints our witness uh, and negates it if we are, as Christians, in strife with one another, if there's offense, if there's unforgiveness, if there's discord among Christians. Right? And so this is very, very important to Apostle Paul. He's clearly pleading here, women, these two, please, you know, get it together. You must be reconciled and at peace with one another. Elsewhere in Romans 12, 18, I think I have it here. In Romans 12, 18, it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you. And it depends on us, Right? We control how we feel. We control our actions. And so as far as it depends on us, yes, it does depend on us 100%. We can choose to live at peace with everyone, not just other Christians, but with everyone. The enemy is always Satan. The enemy is not one another. The enemy is always Satan. The enemy is not you and me when we're in discord or where I'm upset at you about something or, or something. It's not one another. There's nothing that the enemy likes better than division in the church, than division in um, families, in division in church communities. You know, it's the worst when pastors are arguing. It's the worst when it becomes news because this pastor and that pastor didn't get along or you know, just even theological arguments, the whole thing about women ordination with John MacArthur and all the uh, women standing up and, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And it became like mainstream news, you know, just putting out our dirty laundry out there for the world to see. Um, and I'm not saying that we have to live in this perfect utopia. We have not achieved that yet here on earth. Um, and so there is going to be strife. But as far as it depends on us, we should strive to live with peace with everyone. It's not some you know, pie-in-the-sky kind of dream. We can, because we can control, control our thoughts and our actions. We can strive for this. Just remembering that Satan is my enemy, not you, who upset me and, and um, caused me offense and, and all that. The division of the church, I think, is the saddest and the greatest um, uh, unwitness or worse witness, if I can put it that way, to unbelievers. Secondly, Paul talks about having this uh, peace within, this inner peace. He talks about having this, this kind of, uh, it's not like the meditational, like, mm, you know, and, and meditational type of uh, serene tranquility within, but he talks about in verses four through seven here that, um, 
to rejoice, to be gentle. Uh, the Lord is near, he tells us, and he tells us all these things. Don't be anxious, that we're supposed to pray and give thanksgiving and make our requests known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our, height, our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. I know that many of us are burdened, and many of us are carrying a heavy load. Maybe you're worried about um, finances. Maybe you're worried about health. Like I said, a lot of people are sick. Our parents are at that age when various you know, health problems are hitting our parents. Maybe you're worried about your future. Some of you younger folks, uh, about school, your grades, future college, major, job opportunities, things like that. Some of you are married about, uh, worried about your marriage or uh, who you're going to marry. Um, parents, I know, being part of Covenant, our largest um, community group, you're always worried about being a good parent and the future of your kids. So much to be worried about. This burden and this worry then leads us to frustration, right? And we just get super frustrated about there's just so much happening and I, and I can't control it all, especially for those who are control freaks, right? And as we pause to look at Philippians and see the um, Apostle Paul's words here, you have to realize, think about this for a moment, you have to realize that Paul is saying this, let me back up here, Paul's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident, you know? Don't worry about anything, don't be anxious. He's saying this not from, you know, very comfortable sofa in his home, you know, not in, you know, in the cushy surroundings, but he is actually in prison. He's awaiting trial, and there's a very real threat that he could be executed. This is his situation, and he's telling us this. He's saying this, right? Think about that. We here are not in any kind of situation even close to Paul, and we have more worries than Paul. He really has things he could be worried about, right? But we have so much more worries and burdens than him, and we're not even close to his situation. And yet Paul here, he's able to give us this formula. If you look carefully, he gives us a formula for being able to develop peace within. He says in the beginning of verse 6, it says here, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. He's saying, in other words, don't worry, let God handle it. Don't worry, let God handle it. I remember seeing on Instagram this quote, and I'll be honest, I'm a worrier. I worry a lot. Um, I know I need to preach to myself that worrying is a sin. Um, but I saw this quote on Instagram that I was like, wow. And so I screenshotted it because it was so good. It's so simple, but so deep. And it, it caught me, and it says, it says, pray about it as much as you worry about it. I was like, so simple, but so deep. Pray about it as much as you worry about it. And I was like, yeah, I mean, if I pray about it this much, I worry about it this much. I mean, that's just total truth here. I'll pray, of course, about my concerns and things like that. I'll pray this much. But the rest of the day, I'm worrying about it all day long. But in my quiet time or morning prayer, I'll just pray about it for five minutes, maybe 10 minutes max. And I was like, wow, do you pray about it as much as you worry about it? I don't. And I was like, oh, that's so good. I have it on screenshot. But um, 
So, you know, again, advice to you all. Do you pray about it as much as you worry about it? And finally, Paul mentions peace with God. That's the third thing. Peace with God. Verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul gives us eight filters, if you count them. If you count them, it's eight filters by which we should sift everything that we see and hear. These are, think about them as filters, things that you have to uh, use as, as a filter to, to sift everything that we see or hear. If it doesn't make it through these eight filters, then it shouldn't be on our minds and it shouldn't be in our hearts. And I like how this one Bible commentator uh, put it, and he translated Paul's words here. Let me, here it is. So he says, and this is a, um, a Bible commentator who's talking about this verse. He says, put everything through these eight filters. If it's not true, then don't welcome it. If it's not noble, if it's not right or pure or lovely or admirable or excellent or praiseworthy, don't let it find a home in your heart. And if you'll use these filters, you'll have peace with God. That's a more simple way of kind of thinking about it. These are the eight things, noble, uh, praiseworthy, excellent, uh, admirable. If it's not those things, then, then don't meditate on, on it. You know, Use these eight things as a filter for the things that are worrying you, the things, bad thoughts that are coming into your mind and hindering you day to day, uh, self-loathing comments like, oh, I'm no good at this. Oh, my gosh, I, why do I look like this? You know, these comments that we make about ourselves. If it's not admirable, noble, and, and praiseworthy, then let's not let them have space in our hearts or in our minds and use these eight things as a filter and to put everything through. And ultimately, the reason that we're able to have peace with God is because God sent his son, the Prince of Peace. That's really the only way. I feel like those who are not Christians, I don't understand how they wake up every day and go through life. I just don't. This world is so horrible. This world is so, you know, just without my faith in Jesus and God, I don't know why you wouldn't be hopeless. You, there is no hope. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our hope. And it's because the birth of this Prince of Peace that we're ultimately able to even strive for and to have peace with others, to have this inner peace and ultimately peace with God. It's simply because the birth of the Prince of Peace, because of Jesus, that God chose to reconcile us. God first chose to have peace with us, right? He chose us, and he wanted to have peace with us. Without Jesus, we couldn't even reach out to God. We'd be like begging him, please, you know, we want peace. This world is horrible. But God reached out to us first through his son, Jesus, and allowed us to have this peace. It's amazing. Because we know that the wages of sin is death, it says in Romans 6.23, our sin had to be paid for. Our sin had to be atoned. It wasn't free. And in the Old Testament, the people, they made sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice of live animals. Blood had to be spilt, actual blood to atone for their sins. Sacrifices had to be made. And that's the way that it was. That's just the way it was until God sent Jesus. 
who in Hebrews 9.26, it says, he sacrificed himself once and for all, summing up all the other sacrifices in this one sacrifice of himself, the final solution for sin. That's such a powerful verse. This is the final solution. All sacrifices wrapped into this one ultimate sacrifice. And that was the um, MSG version, the message version. I mean, I am so thankful that on this side of the Testament, not the old, but we're in the New Testament, that I don't have to do blood sacrifices anymore. I don't know about you, but I'm very grateful that I don't have to get animals and split them and, and you know, to have to spill blood. I'm very, very thankful for that. Uh, Jesus being the one and final solution. We can now have peace with God because of what Jesus has done for us. I do want to say something about peace. Pastor Q yesterday had the honor and privilege of preaching at the uh, Messianic Jewish uh, worship service. They use the building and worship on Saturday, as you know, and I was thinking about this. The Hebrew word used in the Old Testament that's translated peace for us, as you know, is shalom, shalom. And the Jewish people use it very, very often and all the time. And, you know, even Christians, we, we're allowed to use, you know, Jewish Hebrew words. We're allowed to. So we can also say it. Um, but this shalom, it means more than what we understand to be peace. When we think peace, we think about the absence of war, absence of conflict. Um, in the English language, when we say peace, we think about, you know, absence of hostilities, um, but it includes so much more than that. When you hear the Hebrew word shalom, it encompasses more like um, it includes wholeness. It includes wellness. Um, it includes health, harmony, completeness. It, it even includes safety and prosperity. So when we say shalom, you know, it's saying it includes all that, not just peace, brother. <laughs> it doesn't mean that, but it means like wellness, completeness, wholeness, safety, goodness unto you. You know, it's such a beautiful word, but we don't get that uh, same feeling when we use the word peace. In fact, it was such a significant word that um, the Jews, when they greet one another, instead of saying hello, what they do is they say shalom aleichem. Shalom aleichem means peace be upon you. If you ever hear a Jewish person say shalom aleichem to you, the proper response is aleichem shalom, back to them, right? So surprise them by saying that. Well, I don't know where you would meet a Jewish person who would even say that to you. But shalom aleichem, which means peace be unto you, has been shortened to just shalom that people say to one another. And it's very similar to Hawaii's aloha. I know I, aloha means hello as well as goodbye. So shalom also means the same thing. When you greet someone, you can say shalom. But when you say goodbye and you're leaving for goodbye, you can say shalom as well. And so Jesus is our shalom. He is indeed our shalom. And he's called in Isaiah 9, wonderful counselor. I don't know why it's not working. Can you, can you go to the next slide? Thank you. Um, in Isaiah 9, 6b, it says, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Shalom. The Hebrew sense of the word shalom that we're looking for. And when he returns, we look forward to the day when it says in verse 7, the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I can't wait for that day. I mean, it just gives me goosebumps to think about this. It says there will be no end. It will be forever you know, in that time of coming. And when we think about Christmas, in this time of Advent, with all the busyness of preparing for Christmas parties, white elephant gifts, and, you know, Christmas dinners, and all these other events that we're planning, if you think about it, the greatness of this, this perfect peace that we are, you know, greatly anticipating and looking forward to. Can you imagine what it would be like to live in a world with complete shalom? To have just a complete shalom, you know? At the beginning of my message today, I talked about this um, poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Do you remember the verses? Do you remember that his words, and he says, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But that wasn't the last verse of his poem. The last verse, he doesn't leave us in despair. He doesn't leave us in a bad note. This is the last verse. It says, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. This is the ending of this poem. It starts out kind of dire, but it ends with this hope. And that is our hope as well, because of the birth of the Prince of Peace. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, and the right will prevail, with peace on earth. As the praise team comes up again, I want to ask you this question. Are you experiencing God's shalom? Are you experiencing God's true shalom in your life? What burdens, worries, anxieties, stress, concerns are you carrying today? We will soon be celebrating the birthday of the Prince of Peace, who made a way for us to be able to bring all these things to him. And he will make a way for us to fully experience God's shalom. So think about this. As we enter, we just have, Maddie was saying in the car today, she was like, Daddy, Christmas is next week. Oh my gosh. I can't believe it either. It just feels like it just went by so fast this year and Christmas is already uh, next week. It's incredible. But as we draw near and as we light this candle, last week was peace and and this week being joy, to think about what it would be like to truly experience God's shalom and to know that it is possible because of the birth of the Prince of Peace ultimately. Ultimately. Let's all stand together. I want to encourage you as, you as we sing this last uh, praise and as you just go through your day shopping and doing other things, look for opportunities. Look for opportunities where you can be kind and you can extend peace to your fellow brothers and sisters. And I know Lucy calls us fanatics, but even beyond the Christmas season, that it should be just a part of our everyday life of people who've been redeemed, of people who believe in Jesus, the Prince of Peace, that he has come as a baby, celebrating that, but that he will come again. And because of that, 
well beyond the Christmas season that we can walk in this attitude of peace with one another, having that inner peace, and ultimately peace with God. So let's just think about that and see in what ways you can walk through life, not just Christmas season, 